All right, podcast family, I'm going to start us off right at the start with a simple question. What's the tagline to our podcast? I mean, if you've been listening to us for any time at all, you know that our tagline is we're here because medicine moves real fast. Well, nowhere else is that completely obvious than it is regarding the topic of hypertension management during pregnancy. I mean, look how much we've learned over the past one to two years with release of the CHIP and the CHAP trial that have called for tighter control of blood pressure antepartum at a trigger point of 140 over 90, we really do have a means, we really do have an opportunity here to prevent escalation to worsening disease. But now there's new data that we can also be proactive and not just reactionary as a see and treat approach for severe blood pressures intrapartum. All right, we do have meds already to treat severe hypertension 160 over 110 intrapartum. But wouldn't it be nice if we could give patients medication that would prevent them from reaching that dangerous blood pressure to begin with? Well, we now have data that says we can do that. So we're going to cover data from October the 3rd from the American Heart Association's journal, Hypertension, because we now have a way to prevent escalation of blood pressure so we don't have to be reactionary, but we can be proactive and prophylactic. Ready? Let's cover this brand new data from October 2022 right now. Our goal is to keep everyone up to date in practicing evidence-based medicine because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. The data for this podcast comes from the October 3rd, 2022 publication out of the journal Hypertension, which is one of the journals of the American Heart Association. The title of this new publication is Trial of Intrapartum extended release nifedipine to prevent severe hypertension among pregnant individuals with preeclampsia with severe features. Let's camp out here with nifedipine for just a minute. Because if your first thought is, wait a minute, that's nothing new. We already use nifedipine intrapartum. And you're totally right. ACOG actually first endorsed that as a first-line agent for urgent hypertension. In other words, once the blood pressure was 160 over 110 as an intrapartum intervention back in 2015. That's nothing new. Remember that in that setting, as a response to urgent hypertension, in addition to the use of magnesium sulfate and the typical evaluation and workup for preeclampsia with severe features, the dose was immediate release nifedipine. This was given at a dose of 10 milligrams orally with a blood pressure rechecked 20 minutes after that first dose. If that repeat pressure was still greater than or equal to 160 over 110, then the second dose of oral nifedipine was given at 20 milligrams and the sequence was repeated repeated up to a third dose, again, of 20 milligrams. Everybody good? So 10 milligrams followed by 20, 20, with a cap at 50 milligrams of oral nifedipine before switching to something else. The main advantages of oral nifedipine are that it works. It's pretty effective at lowering blood pressure, and it does it safely, and its results are pretty predictable, with its main side effect being reflex tachycardia and headache. Ah, but that's not what we're talking about here. Remember, the treatment for urgent hypertension is immediate release, 10-20-20, but that's as a reaction to blood pressure that's already high. And honestly, I got to be honest, it, it just, it never really made sense to me. Why were we waiting for women to get to that high level before we did something? 
And others agree. That's one of the statements from the California Maternal Quality Care Collaborative that actually said we should probably be intervening before the 160 over 110. In other words, let's do something either with a lower cutoff or preventative, not reactionary. Remember that the CMQCC had called for initiation of urgent antihypertensive meds below the 160 over 110 cutoff. They actually lowered that to 150 over 100, realizing that that's just a pretty high pressure for any otherwise healthy pregnant woman. And so while they had lowered that, ACOG still keeps it at 160 over 110, although things are moving fast and that may change in the future, but not yet. All right, before we get into the new study, just a quick reminder, we're not talking about treatment of high blood pressure antepartum as an outpatient. We're talking about specifically for those women that are intrapartum, all right, either with spontaneous labor or those being induced. But all of these patients in this new study that was done all qualify. They all met criteria for preeclampsia with severe features. So we're going to get into that in just a minute. And this was not about immediate release nifedipine. But it was the extended release type at 30 milligrams XL, all right? So it's like Procardia 30 XL. So nifedipine, 30 milligrams extended release. This study was a randomized, triple-blind, placebo-controlled trial at a single academic medical center. This study actually came out of Ohio State University at Wexner. Pregnant patients who are 18 to 45 years of age, who are between 22 weeks and 41 and 6 days, with a singleton or a twin gestation, who are admitted to LND with a plan for a trial of labor due to the diagnosis of preeclampsia with severe features, were screened for eligibility. The criteria for preeclampsia with severe features was right out of the ACOG bulletin, as it should be. That was a severe blood pressure of 160 over 110 that was sustained for at least 10 minutes, requiring acute therapy or two measurements that were at that level four hours apart. And in the absence of blood pressure criteria, preeclampsia with severe features was diagnosed with mildly elevated pressures, in other words, 140 to 159, with a diastolic of 90 over 109, that was at least four hours apart in conjunction with symptoms or lab abnormalities, just like ACOG describes. Remember, that's a platelet count less than 100,000, LFTs twice the upper limit of normal, renal insufficiency with a creatinine of greater than 1.1, or a doubling of serum creatinine in the absence of other factors, pulmonary edema, new onset headache unresponsive to medication and not explained by some other diagnosis or scotatoma or right upper quadrant pain, again, not explained by some other pathology. Now, here's an important clinical pearl and a good management reminder. Because preeclampsia with severe features and severe gestational hypertension are managed identically, then proteinuria is really not required. In other words, you can have hypertension with proteinuria that meets severe criteria by something else, or you can meet severe criteria just by blood pressure alone. That's severe gestational hypertension. So remember, just because they don't have protein doesn't mean that they're any less sick because they can still have preeclampsia with severe features without protein. Now, just as a quick side note, I did train when the degree of proteinuria was a severe criteria. It was more than four grams and then some would argue more than five grams. I mean, that's an nephrotic range. But of course, remember, we don't use 
proteinuria amount as severe criteria anymore. It just gets you whether you're proteinuric hypertension, which is traditional preeclampsia, or if you're non-proteinuric hypertension, you're gestational hypertension. But you can still be labeled as preeclampsia with severe features if that gestational hypertension hits that 160 over 110 cutoff. In other words, by blood pressure alone. All right, let's get back to the design of this study. All participants received magsulfate and had a bolus for seizure prophylaxis before study drug administration. Magsulfate was continued through delivery, and at this institution, it was continued up to 24 hours postpartum. So these participants were randomly assigned in a one-to-one ratio to either oral extended-release nifedipine 30 milligrams or an identical appearing placebo. This was given every 24 hours until delivery. The medication was held if the blood pressure dropped below 120 over 70 and was discontinued right after delivery. So we've just wrapped up the methodology, the methods and design of this study. So remember that the patients involved in the study all had a diagnosis of preeclampsia with severe features. Whether that was based on blood pressure alone, lab abnormalities, or symptoms, they all had preeclampsia with severe features. So that's the first thing to keep in mind. This isn't just patients that all had 160 over 110. They could have, but it, they could have been diagnosed with preeclampsia with severe features based on some other criteria. So it wasn't just limited to those who had severe range hypertension. They could have had 140s over 90s, 150s over 90s, but met severe criteria by one of the other markers. All right. So you don't have to wait until they hit 160 over 110. Anybody with preeclampsia with severe features based on any criteria this could apply to. Well, what happened? Well, first, the primary outcome was needing to give one or more doses of acute hypertension therapy for blood pressures that hit that trigger point of 160 over 110 that was sustained for 10 minutes or longer. All right, so it wasn't just one random read. They took it. Oh my gosh, it's high. Repeated in 10, still high, and then trigger the acute medication. The primary outcome occurred in significantly fewer women in the nifedipine group than in the placebo group. Acute hypertensive therapy was required in 34% of the nifedipine group, but it was required in 55% of the placebo group. Fewer women in the nifedipine group than in the placebo group required cesarean section, although this difference did not meet statistical significance. Now, let's stop there for a minute because one of the big pushbacks traditionally of giving an extended release nifedipine, a calcium channel blocker, intrapartum on somebody you're trying to induce was, hey, wait a minute, this thing's going to function like a tocolytic. We can't give that. We won't get them delivered and it's going to increase the C-section rate. That's actually not what happened at all. And one of the reasons is that the 30 milligrams PO sustained release likely is not giving a big bolus dose up front that would be enough to affect contractions in a negative way. Yes, oral nifedipine in a repeated dose formula is a type of tocolytic. I mean, that's been published and there's algorithms for that. But at this dose, 30 milligrams extended release, that probably didn't give enough exposure to the myometrium to give calcium blockade enough to affect contractions in a negative way. So that's very reassuring. 
Now let's get back to the results. Thankfully, there were no differences between the groups in the rate of hypotensive episodes, including symptomatic hypotension requiring ephedrine rescue. So that's good to know. Oh, and one of the fears and one of the potential blocks to using extended release procardia historically and why we didn't do it was this fear that somehow we would cause a rebound in hypertension once the patient was taken off the medication. But that's actually not what happened. After delivery, there was no difference in the rate of persistently severe blood pressures that required acute therapy and maintenance therapy at time of discharge home. So giving them 30 milligrams XL nifedipine extended release did not somehow suppress them and then they had some kind of bounce back explosion of blood pressure. That's not what was seen. All right, so let's regroup. So what do we know so far? Patients who were admitted to labor and delivery for induction with preeclampsia with severe features who were given nifedipine 30 milligrams extended release ended up requiring less rescue for high blood pressure and they did not have any higher C-section rates. That's good. But this also benefited the baby. Although birth weights and rates of children who were small for gestational age were similar between the two groups, there was a trend for decreased rates of neonatal intensive care unit admission among those babies who were born to mothers who received nifedipine. Well, that's kind of cool. The neonatal composite outcome was also similar between the nifedipine group and the placebo group, meaning there was no change in APGAR scores, hyperbilirubinemia, or hypoglycemia requiring intravenous therapy or the need for supplemental oxygen within the first 24 hours. All right, podcast family, let's bring it home. So what's the take-home message? It's easy. This has the implication to change intrapartum care for patients with preeclampsia with severe features. Why are we waiting for blood pressures to reach dangerous levels before we initiate treatment? 160 over 110 is really high. Now, right now, just to be clear, that is one of the diagnostic criteria for preeclampsia with severe features. But we shouldn't be waiting to be responsive as a see and treat reflex, we should really be looking to be proactive and preventative. So remember, nifedipine, 30 milligrams slow release or extended release, intrapartum for those patients with preeclampsia with severe features is safe, does not affect C-section rates, and does not have adverse neonatal outcomes. Now here's the catch. ACOG has not yet responded to this. Remember, this just came out on October the 3rd, and I'm taping this on October the 8th. But remember, that's our whole tagline, right? Medicine moves fast, and sometimes it moves so fast that professional societies just take a while to clear through everything on their docket to release the statement. As we close the podcast, I want to leave you with the clinical perspectives that the authors gave at the end of the publication. This is a direct quote from that study. We found that initiation of extended release nifedipine, 30 milligrams every 24 hours until delivery, among individuals undergoing induction of labor for preeclampsia with severe features, was associated with reduced need for acute treatment of severe hypertension when compared to placebo. Furthermore, this intervention demonstrated non-significant trends towards lower rates of C-sections and neonatal intensive care units. These results warrant strong consideration of this therapy in eligible individuals undergoing induction of labor for preeclampsia with severe features who are not already on extended-release nifedipine. Even in the absence of preeclampsia, emerging research suggests pregnant individuals may benefit from initiating and titrating antihypertensive therapy at goals similar to the non-obstetric population, end quote. 
All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. We have summarized a new article out of the American Heart Association's journal, Hypertension. As always, thank you for your kind messages. Stay in contact through our Facebook page, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.